0: Welcome back to Relentless Minds. This is your host, Lori Jimenez. Relentless Minds is a storytelling platform where I interview people from all around the world and from all backgrounds to share their stories of struggle and resilience. Every single guest on this podcast shares in common something very important, which is that they have fought to create a better life for themselves, despite facing really difficult challenges in their lives that could have permanently derailed them from living a life of happiness and purpose. On today's episode, I interview a woman who has preferred to stay anonymous due to the fact that her family and children still don't know the things that she underwent at the hands of their father, who was her husband at the time. For the sake of this interview, I refer to her as Jane. Jane met her ex-husband early in life when she was still in college and he was in the army. And over the 20 plus years that they were married, her husband would come to pressure Jane into satisfying his twisted sexual desires, which started with swinging and ended with coercing her into selling her body for sex. Jane discusses the troubling experiences she had in her marriage, the total loss of control she felt over her children and her own life, and the strength that helped her get through, and eventually out, of that situation. This interview was moving and inspiring, and Jane opens up vulnerably and honestly about what she experienced for more than 20 years of her life. Let's begin the conversation. Hi, Jane. It's an honor to have you on Relentless Minds today to share your story. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Today's conversation is going to be covering your personal story and experience with human trafficking in a way that many people may not think of when they think about trafficking, which was that your own husband trafficked you for sex. So I'm hoping that through your interview, we can shine a light on this hidden crime and give hope and inspiration to act to those um, who have been personally affected. That sounds great. And so Jane, to start off, I want to know why is it that victims of this form of sex trafficking don't come forward
1: to report this crime and what caused you to do so? So I never reported it to um, police. Um, unfortunately, this type of crime affects a person's whole body. It affects their mind. They question every single decision that they make. It, it affects uh, affects them physically. Many women um, and and men who are trafficked are beaten. Um, obviously, they're sexually abused, um, and it affects them spiritually. So you question. Your uh, not only your decisions, but every aspect of yourself, and you look at yourself differently. You don't look at yourself on a human level. You look at yourself as a thing, mm. and you become a product. Now, for me, I was a businesswoman. I have I have two children, um, and for me, it I, I just couldn't see myself reporting this and letting everybody know my dark Mm -hmm. secret.
0: I want to clarify that a little bit. I should have also added that women not only don't report their crime, but they don't come forward and share their story and talk about it. Um, That's true. And that's what you are doing. And I think that's, that's really what's key here as well, um, because it's important for other women to hear. And so when it comes to you, deciding to share your story here with us today, Um, as opposed to so many who suffer in silence. What was your inspiration to to be able to come forward and talk about this?
1: So um, I was always really good in school and I always felt like um, I I moved from where I'd been for 20 years to um, help my parents out and help me out Mm -hmm. in January of 19. And I wanted to find some way that I could help um, victims in some way, shape or form. And I spoke to um, a nonprofit here, and um, found out for the first time in in April of nineteen that my situation actually qualified as trafficking. And I said, "You know what? I, th- I think I need to talk about this." Mm-hmm. Um, I've been super fortunate to have an amazing therapist. And um, I I always felt like talking to her made things better. So the first time I I met with the leader of this nonprofit, um, I said, you know, I think I want to speak. And the very next day, she asked me to do it. And so my first time speaking was in front of a group of 40 people. I literally found out at 1 o'clock in the afternoon I was going to speak at 7 p.m., and so I just got up in front of people and I started telling my story. And I have to tell you, that was the most freeing thing I've ever done. I was completely shocked. The people that were in that room who were there trying to raise money to make awareness of this situation looked at me as strong and and, and as a survivor. And I, it shocked me so much that I wanted more. Yeah. And it shocked me so much how many people came up to me afterwards and said, you know, the abuse that you suffered prior to being trafficked, I went through the same thing. Mm-hmm. And suddenly it opens a communication with people to know that they're not alone. Absolutely. And that's so, that's so important. When it comes
0: to your story now, And, you know, it was interesting because um, from what I know about trafficking as well is that, and we're going to dive into this a little later, but because in this case, it was your husband in a lot of other situations um, when it comes to prostitution, when it comes to sex work as well, there's, there's like a connection there with that person who is the perpetrator. Um, Mm -hmm. and so it's going to be an interesting dynamic to be able to discuss that one, that dynamic, dynamic and connection that you had with your husband in the sense, in the sense of, uh, dependency. That's something I'm looking forward to exploring later on when it comes to the early on, how did you, and we'll call him Bob, um, first meet?
1: So, um, Bob and I um, actually started as pen pals. Um, he was in the military and um, I had gone through a bad breakup and a friend of my mine said, oh, my military boyfriend, he has an old roommate you might be interested in. And so we started off as pen pals and it kind of progressed fairly quickly. I was a senior in college at the time. And, um, he was at a base in North Carolina and I, um, met him. And when I graduated from college, I just decided I was going to move in with him. You know, there's certain aspects to this that, that create like a perfect scenario. And, and this was kind of our case in the sense that he was very domineering and controlling. And I looked at him as being very strong and, um, knowing what he wanted in life and that attracted me. Me on the other hand, um, I was a little bit lost. I left um, a hometown kind of where I was king of the hill and went out into the big open world and didn't nobody looked at me the same. And I, and I kind of felt like I needed him, like I had no one else, even though I had the support of my parents. And I was also very much a people pleaser Whereas I am totally glass half full, he was very much glass half empty. And my goal when I met him was to make him happy.
0: And so you were discussing your your childhood a little bit. You said you had really good parents, um, but that you were a bit of a people pleaser. Kind of thinking back, how was your upbringing? Uh, would you say that you were particularly vulnerable to you know, manipulation to coercion early on?
1: No, not at all. Um, you know, a lot of people, when they think of uh, victims of sex trafficking, they think, oh, they had to have been abused as a child. Mm-hmm. They had to have been, yes, you know, sexually assaulted. There had to have been some trauma in their life that affected them. And I really didn't. Um, I was really good in school. I went on, I have a four-year degree in college. I was super active in sports. I was all state. I, um, I was on, I I was, um, in student government. So anyone that looked at me from high school would never in a million years have thought that this is where my life would have taken me. Hmm.
0: So what do you think it was? Why do you think that your life took this path?
1: Well, I think we have to look at the timeline, uh, of. um, the length of time that it took me to get there. Um, I had been married for 13 years when I was trafficked. Um, and during that time frame, there was a lot of verbal abuse. Um, and he was constantly trying to push me into uncomfortable territory. Um, he, it took him a year to talk me into swinging and I was never Comfortable with it. I was brought up Catholic, so it absolutely went against everything I was ever taught. Um, he was constantly trying to change my morality um, in the sense that we'd we'd go out and we'd swing, and I would come home and I'd feel horrible guilt, and he would be like, "You shouldn't feel guilty. I was there with you. You know, this is something we're doing together. It's a good thing." So he he was constantly trying to change that. He would, um, get mad at me, which was often over anything. And, um, as the years went on, he would, you know, it was funny. He would start as it being a, fun thing during our lovemaking. Hey, let's, let's imagine that you're the the prostitute on the corner and I'm your guy that's going to come pick you up. And, and, you know, in the bedroom, I'm two loving people, you know, it's fun to make believe. Um, unfortunately for him, it stopped being make believe and it became a desire, something that he really wanted. And so then through the years, instead of it being fun, it became, um, you need to go down to the truck stop and you need to pick up a couple of guys. And um, I think you need to dress with your skirts shorter and tighter and your heels higher. And um, suddenly then, you know, uh, through the years as they went, um, he literally changed my persona um, to the point that I couldn't see my own self-image without him being there with me. And a codependency was developed to the point that I couldn't, even after everything that happened to me, I couldn't see myself leaving him.
0: So there was this timeline. And um, from what I've gathered, there was a period of about a year or so that he spoke to you and tried to convince you to to try swinging. And Mm -hmm. then after that, then he started to move into the realm of prostitution. Is that right?
1: Yes. Yes. It was very subtle. It was subtle. And it happened. Yeah, it was very subtle. And it was not like an everyday occurrence, you know, like the, the first year was let's play a game and then Mm -hmm. it became more Then as, then it was punishment. And ultimately it was, it was the ultimate punishment. Um, He, um, in the, It it was one summer, um, I don't remember what I had done, I'd gotten in trouble for something and typically it was about money. Mm. And he informed me that either I was to sell myself or that was the end of our marriage. And we had two children and I, I was terrified, I couldn't in my mind see how I could survive without his income. My parents were wonder are wonderful. They they were super supportive, and I knew that they were there in the background. But I was so embarrassed and so mortified to be in this situation. I knew that, or in my mind, that I couldn't go to them and ask for help. Um, and so, at that point, it was um, 2007. It was very easy to go online and. You there was multiple websites out at that time that um, we signed me up, and um, I started receiving phone calls within two weeks. Um, I after six months of being trafficked, I actually had um, a mental breakdown. Um, I went to visit my parents at Christmas and started crying. And that was the end for me. I cried for eight hours and I knew that I couldn't go any further. But about a month afterwards, um, he actually admitted that the reason that he wanted me to do this was because it was punishment for the money. I wasn't the greatest at money and, and it was punishment for how good I was with money in our marriage.
0: Do you think he was being sincere and that that was the reason that it was punishment? Or do you think that he had some other motive?
1: You know, um, I think in his mind, that's exactly, that that was what he thought. But mm. for someone to do this, there's, there's a sexual devian- deviancy involved. And, you know, from the time he got me to start swinging, um, he was huge into watching porn. And he he basically tried to make me into his own personal porn star. Um, I think that uh, that was a huge aspect of it. Um, and what sort of things was,
0: was he doing in that time when he tried to make you into like
1: a porn star? Again, it was kind of a subtle thing. It was um, during... Uh, during our time in the bedroom it would he would be directing me as to uh, here do this do that try this try that um, we visited um, multiple you know sex shops and bought toys and and there was there was this constant movement of try more try more try this try that here stand in front of the doorway and in 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 our front yard and be naked. And um, as far as the swinging was concerned, it started off with couples and then it moved into one man and then two men. Um, There was this constant push to try more, do more, be more. Um, He was never satisfied with how I looked, Um, wear more makeup, wear less makeup. He would buy me like incredibly um, seductive and alluring clothes. There was a website at that time that was for men who wanted to show off their wives in provocative situations or pictures. He put me on there. Um, there was always more, more, more that he wanted and there was nothing about me that he accepted, um, Until the point that, I mean, we did, we did videos, we did pictures. Um, It just seemed like it was never ending. um, The desire for more that he wanted as far as sex. And um, as far as pushing that into porn was concerned. Hmm.
0: During this time, when you were going through this, how was this? impacting you? How is it molding your behavior, your mindset? Because you had fought back, you know, it took a while for him to convince you to to sway you into doing these things. How was it that your mindset and your behavior adjusted to, to be okay in a way with what was going on?
1: So I guess the first thing you have to understand is that human trafficking It it involves three things. Um, And according to Homeland Security, human trafficking involves the use of force, fraud, or coercion to abstain some type of labor or commercial sex act. So for me, my form of um, trafficking falls under coercion. Mm -hmm. Um, He used 10 years to talk me into this. So... Imagine going through 10 years of your life where you are told that basically you're useless unless you do this. Um, you're, he would come home from work and it was constant um, the slightest thing would make him angry. We'd be watching di- uh, television at dinner and one of the kids would get up and, and they would stand in front of the TV to talk to me or him. And he would go berserk. How dare you stand in front of the TV when I'm trying to watch a TV show? Um, and he, he never uh, beat any of us. But his words were more harmful than any fist I think could ever have been um Absolutely. and it went it went on year after year after year to the point that it, my mind my emotions were so beaten down that i could speak of self-worth but the words were meaningless i had none where he was concerned um and the and and then that that desire to try to fix it to try to make him better you, you can't fix another person. They have to want to be fixed themselves. And he never saw what he was doing as a problem or something that was wrong. And so after 10 years, when he said, I want to divorce, you have to do this. It was just one more thing for me to give into.
0: What was that pivotal moment in your life that caused you to enter into prostitution?
1: Um, you know, when I gave up and just said, okay, fine, let's just do this. I think at that point it had been a ball that was rolling into this goal for so long. You know, it was just something that I had already, I guess, in my mind accepted that would be inevitable. He would make me call him on a phone and leave the phone on the entire time I was with someone. He would tell me that it was so that he could make sure I was safe, but I never knew whether it was something that he got off on mm-hmm. or it was just something he was doing to check to make sure I was doing what I was told to do. Um, but the first time I went there, I, I literally was shaking the entire time on my way there, and I cried on my way home. I mean, you ask yourself, is this really is this really what my life has come to? Is this really where I was meant to be? Um and in that six months, um, it was many times that there were tears. Um, there was you know, question to myself, this you know, this this is so wrong. Why why am I doing this? Why why am I doing this? I, I and, and just just feelings of that I had nowhere to go, that I had no one that I could turn to that would understand the situation that I was in. Mm. Um, I, I, it was just complete aloneness, solitude. And and that was wrong of me. And I can look back and say that at that time, there was no way I felt that that anyone could know. Um, I know completely that I could have gone to my parents. I could have gone to the police, but there was so much fear and just so much self-worthlessness.
0: So when it came to your family and the people around you, you, know, you were saying that there was fear and there was a sense of low self-worth and what else
1: do you feel prevented you from seeking help? The main reason that I did it was to not break up my family, mm. and my feelings of motherhood um, i I found out um, many many, many years later I went to um, uh, I, uh, I was speaking, and there was a gentleman there who um, was also speaking he I mean, he was talking. Um, about the fact that ninety nine percent of the women that were trafficked are into some sort of substance abuse alcohol drugs, um, and i wasn 't and he was shocked by the fact that i I never used alcohol or drugs as a crutch to get through the day and I talked to my therapist that evening, and she said and i said why didn 't I why?" What does, Why was I different that I didn't need that? And she said, you did this to keep your family together. You did this for your children. Your focus to leave your house to visit these men, even though you felt horrible about it, was knowing that when you came back, you could provide for your kids. My X and I had a business together, and it was doing really, really bad at the time that I was doing this. And so a lot of the money that I received was actually putting food on our table. Mm. And so my focus wholeheartedly was making sure that my children were taken care of. Mm. So even though I had the support, I, I was terrified that they would take my kids away. And I couldn't do that. I couldn't turn them in. I couldn't go to the police. I couldn't tell my parents because then my kids would be taken away.
0: It's incredible to hear your story, Jane, and really the things that you went through by yourself. How did you, in that time, cope with things? You know, how did you keep moving forward and just making, you know,
1: still staying alive every single day? You know, I... Um, a lot of women, when they're in this situation, they become very suicidal. And mine was a little different because of that focus that I had on my kids and even the business that I owned. Um, I used to think not about taking my own life, but about my ex dying in a horrible car crash. For me, I was I was very determined to be there and be strong for my kids. So. After I came back from that Christmas, I had, after having a breakdown, um, you know, a nervous breakdown is an illness and, and it just like going in and having surgery, it takes time to recuperate. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took me a very long time. Um, the first thing I did was I got a therapist and the hardest thing I had to do initially, um, was tell my mom no. So my mom was kind of like, you know, like a lot of moms are, they're kind of like the queen of guilt. So like, you remember when you were 8 years old and you, you know, you you, you dumped gasoline in my favorite plants and you killed it, you know? Ugh. Um my, my mom would bring up these crazy things so the first thing I had to do because I was I had this super giving personality and I was terrified of upsetting every anyone was tell my mom no no, mom, I can't answer your phone call right this second. Um, The other thing it took was a long time for me to find a therapist that understood trauma and understood to a sense of what I endured so that she could treat me correctly. Um, My first therapist after my breakthrough, he was all about guilt. And so Mm -hmm. he was very much about... um, You have to take responsibility for your actions. You you are the one responsible for this. And for me, that was the wrong thing to say. Because since I already suffered from this guilt complex, I felt even more guilty. And so I didn't go to therapy for a couple of years after that. And then I found this amazing, amazing woman. She started off by saying, there's no way for you to have been able to fight this. It it happened so subtly over so many years and you became the person that you needed to be in order to survive the situation you were in. So she actually helped just amazing, amazing leaps and bounds by having me question all those things that I just accepted as reality. And most importantly, she let me talk without judgment. And that was huge mm-hmm. and it made a massive, massive difference. But it, but you also have to understand too, I, I'm not talking about this taking a year or two mm-hmm. or six months to be able to do all of this and to yeah. be able to move forward. It's a process and it's a long process. And recovery from being trafficked is really a lifetime process so um i i had my breakdown in 2007 i didn't leave my ex-husband i didn't divorce him until january of 2019
0: Hmm. you mentioned some important things and specifically also the our thoughts you know and our beliefs they form a big part of that healing process And I'm so happy you were able to find a really good therapist who's able to walk you through the the journey and to hold your hand and to help you work things out. I wanted to know what beliefs had this experience instilled in you that you wanted to change?
1: I guess, you know, with a lot of forms of abuse, you don't have that spiritual mismatch. So I've always believed in God Um, and, and spirituality is not necessarily God. It's, it's whatever faith you have. Um, for me, it's God. And, um, I always felt that, um, God was with me in some way, shape or form through all of that and even through the healing process, but I never felt that I was good enough to walk into that church. And so the first thing spiritually I had to realize was that God really wasn't walking beside me during that time. You always hear the story of footprints in the sand. He, and he wasn't carrying me through that time because I think um, had he been and had I believed that, I, it, it, things would have ended a lot faster. So in my mind, um, I really think that God gave me, he was a blanket that was wrapped around me while I was walking through this time. And he was there holding me, giving me comfort. And he was letting me know that when I was ready, he was with me. And so um, for me, it took a long time, not until I really started, until I moved, that I started praying again. And I was able to talk to him in a way that empowered me. The other thing I did, um, another thing that I did to heal my spirit was when I moved, which is something I should have done long before is I surrounded myself with positive people and strong women. I have a, a group that I meet with once a month and they empower me. Um, and whether someone gets that through a church group or even an older neighbor down the road and em- empower yourself by being with people who are positive in this world, because there's, there's tons of negatives and they'll never go yes. away. Yep. You need someone that's always going to give you hope. And as far as, uh, physically, I gained 110 pounds through my time. So maybe my addiction, you know, there's, there's always addictions that happen through this, but maybe my addiction wasn't, um, drugs and alcohol, it was food. Um, and so I knew that, um, that healing had to take place in losing weight and regaining my health, Mm. um, and so I was really, really fortunate to, um, I, I don't have a lot of money, but I said, there's, there's a couple of things that I have to do. I have to take care of myself. And so I got myself a trainer and, um, again, another super strong person who, um, who has helped me and her form of training is not only physical but when I get there every day she says what are you feeling like today do you need yoga do you need weight Mm, love that do you need to talk do you need to talk Um, um I've had one training session where I got there and and I And she said, so what do you feel like today? And I said, I think I need to cry. She's like, that's okay. You can Uh cry. So we we did yin yoga and I literally cried for an entire hour. And she prayed over me for the entire hour. And Mm -hmm. it took me about a week to feel better. But after that week, it was like, oh, the world just opened up to me. It was amazing. That's so
0: great. Um, I'm so happy that you have followed these steps in your healing process because all of these All of these actions are so crucial, you know, in healing and in recovery and you're taking care of your spiritual and your emotional and the community feel and your physical components in life. And I wanted to make sure I didn't pass over this important part in your journey. And so I wanted to step back quickly and ask you about that decision to leave your ex-husband. How was that decision for you? How did you manage to make that choice and be here today where you have disconnected from him?
1: Um, I think everybody comes to a point where it's like the last thing that you have to deal with, the last, the final straw. For me, the final straw was something that he said at work. Um, I had been super strong money was absolutely horrible. And every day I went to work and I was trying to figure ways that we would have enough money to be able to pay the bills every day. And he called me and and I went into his office and I said, I just, I don't know what else to do. I, I can't make this money appear and he said, "Well, it's about time you came in here. I know you've been suffering these last few months. I've watched you be stressed out so that, to the point that you're you're eating nonstop. Um, you know, I can't believe you haven't come up with a solution to this. I mean, I can't believe that you haven't noticed that I have I've taken no interest. Can't believe that you haven't come and talked to me." And at that moment, for me, it was like, you know. It will never, ever get better with him. It will never, he will always, always be selfish and he will always look down on me. And this is no longer for me. I deserve better than this. I deserve to be a person that people can look up to. I deserve to live my life in the company of people that love me. So everybody has their time, whether it, you know, when, during the worst of the, of our marriage, I, I prayed some days that he would just hit me because I knew for me, that was the final straw. Um, Mm. But it, you know, when you reach that moment and everybody has to reach that moment on their own, just know that, take that step, the baby step. And keep moving towards the direction that you know is the right thing. You know for you is the right thing. Um, like I did. And my life has been nothing but. It, it, my, my life is not perfect. Nobody's is. And I have my struggles. And I, some days I go back to that dark time. And I have to remind myself of the good that I have now. Um, but just know it, it does get better.
0: Mm. Thank you. Thank you so much for saying that. And so Jane I wanted to ask you such an important question with everything that you've given us today we've talked about your experience in you know coercion and being coerced into into prostitution as well as the dynamics and healthy dynamics that there was between you and your ex-husband with all of that said I wanted to ask you, what would you like to tell other women that may be experiencing what you went through and something that you feel would have made a difference if you heard it or realized it sooner?
1: I don't know that there is a good answer. And I know there's a lot of women that are in a very similar situation as far as they know they're in a bad place and they just don't know what it would take to make them leave. But the most important thing I think that kept me going, especially throughout my years of, um, of recovery, if I could impart on people, it's the knowledge that, that you're worth it. You are worth getting up every morning and knowing in your heart today is going to be a good day. You are worth knowing that you're important. And for people that have suffered their human trafficking, um, you would be amazed at how many people do not look down on you. They look Mm -hmm. up to you. You're a survivor. Um, and I didn't understand that for a very, very long time. And guess what? The person that is trafficking you, and this was an absolute shock to me, um, is not a good person. Hmm. It's not a person that you want to surround yourself with. Is not a person that you want to look up to. They may tell you that they love you. No one that loves you would ever harm you like that. You are worth being out on your own and away from human trafficking. You are stronger than you think. And you have the power to make a change that no one else can make.
0: Thank you so much for saying those final words. When it comes to women and understanding their value and understanding that these people in their lives that are harming them in this way it's not it's not normal it's not okay what would you say is one of the most important things that people can start to do um, in order to spread more awareness in order to keep an eye out for people who are are possible victims how can we start to make a difference and make a change
1: you know, I just think that people need to be made aware that this is not just a hidden backroom situation; that it literally is happening everywhere. Mm-hmm. I was, I was a PTO PTA vice president. How, you know, mm-hmm. what more can you say that it, it happens everywhere? And until we bring this to light, until we tell our high school girls you know what? It's not okay. Just because he says he loves you doesn't mean that doing this for him is okay. It's not okay for this to happen. Um, And until people truly believe it, it will never go away.
0: Thank you so much, Jane, for sharing today and for sharing your story and for being vulnerable and real with us and about your experiences and about your emotions. Stories like yours you know, talking about these things, having these conversations is a step in the right direction. And so I thank you so much for being here today and for sharing your story and giving us the time. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it and feel inspired and would like to be a part of the Relentless Minds community, you can join the movement for change on Instagram and Twitter. We would also love to know how your experience has been as a listener. If you haven't yet, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join us next week for another powerful story. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.